Well, hey there once again. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to, to be with you all. Lots of new faces this morning. Welcome. If you're a guest, uh, glad you're here. want to make sure that uh, uh, you fill out one of our welcome cards, one of our connection cards. They're in the seat backs uh, in front of you, and that you grab a welcome gift on the way out. Uh, it's a way that we support local businesses uh, because we have gifts there that we source from them, and we'd love to continue supporting those businesses. So if you haven't grabbed one or you don't remember if you ever grabbed one, just feel free to grab one right after the service. We'd be glad for you to have it. Um, what a great morning already. I'm just excited to come down from the high right there. <laughs> it was so good. It's so good. It's so good. All right, let's, 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 let's settle into the sermon. Um, there's a castle in Japan. It's called Matsue Castle, and it stood for 400 years. It's one of the few castles that still remains from feudal-era Japan in its original wooden form. There are many castles that you can find that are fashioned or, or that are uh, recreations of feudal-era castles, but they're concrete reconstructions. Uh, but there are like 12 that are still standing in their original wooden form, and uh, Matsue Castle is one of them. Uh, in 400 years, a lot has happened in Japan. Uh, it has... Uh, survived through fires, it has survived through earthquakes, it has survived through uh, uh, tons of natural occurrences that could have torn it down. There have been wars, pretty significant ones, that, uh, that have affected Japan in 400 years. And it has, those things have taken down other castles. There have been um, uh, attacks, uh, human and natural, that have brought down castles. And yet Matsue Castle still stands after 400 years. I think part of it has to do with how it's built. You may not be able to tell from way back there, but that is like two stories worth of rock on which it's built. Uh, it's not just head and shoulders above people. It is head, shoulders, knees, and toes <laughs> above people. Uh, I don't doubt that this is part of why it has stood, also where it has set. Uh, the layer of rock on which the keep rests has helped it withstand the things that made other castles crumble. The layer of rock on which the keep stands has helped it remain when other castles have crumbled. And there's some wisdom in there for us, isn't there? Because when things that can cause lives to fall into chaos come, and things that can cause lives to fall into chaos do come, don't they? We experience that. It's what we've built our lives on that will determine whether we stand or we crumble. It's worth saying again. When the things that cause lives to fall into chaos come, it's what we've built our lives on that will determine whether we stand or we crumble. We're in the home stretch of our wisdom series where we've been gleaning from Scripture what it takes to navigate through the chaos of life and to live satisfied lives, to live good lives. Given that we've had a number of baptisms today, like I said, the sermon's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit more direct. Baptism represents sort of an initial step into the faith life. It, it marks a beginning, so to speak, for people. And so I want to share just a few words of encouragement and exhortation for those uh, that have been baptized, but also their words for all of us. Maybe it'll be the first time you hear it. Maybe it'll be a good reminder. These, hopefully, are words that will be a sort of wisdom that will help us build our lives on things that will help us stand when things come that could threaten to crumble our lives. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're going to start in verse 24, and we're going to read through verse 
27. If you don't happen to have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen in just a second. But we'll read Matthew seven, chap, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. If you're unsure of where Matthew is and you happen to have a full Bible, go to the latter third of your Bible. Uh, it's in the New Testament. It's the first of the four accounts we have of Jesus' life. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, we'll be there in the seventh chapter. Here we go. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, and this is Jesus speaking, is like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This passage takes place at the end of what is known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It is a collection of Jesus' teachings that we have over the course of a number of chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus lays out a vision and an ethic for what the kingdom he is ushering in looks like. Jesus is bringing forth a teaching with authority. It is a teaching that people uh, were, were, were somewhat familiar with, but not entirely familiar with. Jesus is taking things that they already knew or thought they knew, and he's tweaking them just enough to paint a picture that says, what you have learned previously was not quite it. There were some teachings that were not right and have yet led you to live a life that is not exactly the life God wants you to live. And Jesus is laying out this vision for what it means to live in his kingdom. He's challenged some of the paradigms that they had for what it meant to be faithful to God. He's modeled what it means to pray. He's painted a picture of what the blessed life looks like. If you are familiar with something called the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, blessed are, and he says, blessed are, and blessed are a number of times, that happens in the Sermon on the Mount, and that was transformative for people. Because this was not the picture of the blessed life that people had. Jesus is shifting their perspective. And in his final words, in his Sermon on the Mount, he goes and presents a contrasting picture. It's nearly identical, save for a couple of details. But those details make all the difference. There are two houses that are being built by two men. And in both cases, here's what's common, one of the things that is common. The rain came down. The streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. In both cases, this happened. Note that it doesn't say if the rain should come, or if the streams should rise, or if the wind should blow. Jesus tells his audience, rain will come, streams will rise, winds will blow, and they will beat against your house. And that is still true today. Whether internal or external, no life is free of trouble. No life is free of pain. No life is free of loss. No life is free of other things that can shake the very foundations of our soul, the very foundations of our life. I can't tell you that you won't face storms in life. I can't tell you that. But you do have a say in how you face them. You do have a say in how you face them. We don't get to decide to never face storms. I mean, you could decide that you're never going to face storm and you're just practicing self-delusion right there. We don't get to decide to never face storms, but we do get to decide where we face them from. 
we do get to decide where we are when we face them. Both houses face storms, but they face them built on very different foundations, and that has immediate consequences. One house crumbles when it faces a storm, when it faces the wind, when it faces the streams, when it faces the rain that beat against it. It crumbles, and the other stands. For the one whose house crumbles, that means that in the immediate aftermath, after recovering from whatever personal injuries they may have received if they happen to be in the house when it crumbled, they have to set about building the house again. They have to rebuild. They have to gather material. They have to spend their time rebuilding the house. They start over. They even have to choose again what foundation they're going to build on. But that's time, that's energy, and those are resources that could have gone elsewhere if the house had stood. Once again, they must decide where to build. And you'd think it's obvious. Well, if you built your house on the sand once, and when the storm came, and the winds blew, and the, 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 the streams rose up, my house crumbled, well, the next time, I'm not going to build on the sand. But how many of us, how many of us know people or have been the people who go back to the same thing that brought about collapse, believing that what are the odds that it's going to happen again? What are the odds? What are the odds? It becomes a pattern in our lives. And we craft lives that are then mostly marked by crisis and collapse. And when we tell the story of our lives, the major marks, the major points are all collapse and crumbling and chaos and crisis. It's not just that we get to decide where we face the storms of life. We get to decide whether our lives are mostly spent digging ourselves out of chaos or navigating ourselves and others through chaos. Where you decide to build your house determines whether your life is mostly spent digging yourself out of chaos and crisis when storms come or whether it's mostly spent navigating yourself and others through it. Because when you don't have to worry about rebuilding your house, you get to help others with theirs. You get to shelter people in yours. Your energies and your time and your resources can go elsewhere. Every life has storms. And let me be clear, all analogies fall, some, fall apart somewhere, so I'll, I'll say this very clearly. None of us are likely to avoid situations where we end up having to dig ourselves out. Most of us have already had a situation in life where we found out that we had built on a faulty foundation or that we were connected to people who had built on sand, and we've had to dig ourselves out. We've had to dig ourselves out of situations that have crumbled either because of our choices or the choices of others. That doesn't mean that it has to be the defining pattern. That doesn't mean that it has to be what happens next time. That doesn't mean that it has to mark the arc of our lives. That doesn't mean that chaos and crisis have to be the things that define our lives. And here's what determines what is going to be the defining pattern of our lives. I've highlighted some words here. Note, note, both men hear the words. Both men build houses after hearing words. 
The difference is that one of the men does not put the words into practice, and one of them does. And that makes the person wise or foolish. The person who hears and puts into practice is wise. The person who hears and just hears is considered foolish and builds his house on the sand. And here's what we've said wisdom is during this series. Wisdom is to know, to want, and to walk upon the path of good. Wisdom is never exclusively intellectual or theoretical, at least not as the scriptures understand and define wisdom. It's never meant to be simply an information dump. It's never simply meant to be good advice or folksy and winsome sayings. It's not meant to be that. It's meant to be things that transform the way we live, that we can live out. Wisdom always includes what we desire, what we have will for, and what we do. Those are connected. Then we have wisdom. Jesus has all these people around him. It's a huge crowd that is listening to him. He's laying down some amazing teaching. They're blown away by it. At the end, they are amazed by his teaching. And he says to them, it's not enough for you to hear in order to experience the kind of life I'm laying out for you. It's not enough for you to simply listen to what I've said. You've got to live it. You've got to live it out if you're going to endure. For the last few weeks, we've been mining the scriptures for wisdom. But it's also likely that you've experienced some wisdom coming into your life from other places. If you've not been here with us for the past few weeks, that doesn't mean that God has not been bringing wisdom into your life, that there hasn't been an opportunity and an invitation. How much of what you've received over the last few weeks has stayed only in your head? How much of it has remained only in nice platitudes that you can quote back How much has actually made it out to how you act? What have you heard that it's time to apply in order to become wise? Because, friends, it's not enough just to listen to wisdom in order to become wise. It's got to move out beyond us. It's got to affect the way we we act. It's got to be reflected in what we desire and what we set our minds and our will for. Take a moment and consider that. What have you heard in the last few weeks that it's time to apply in order to become wise? And let me say this for anyone who doubts it. Wisdom is for you. Wisdom is for you. Wisdom is for you. You were not made to be unwise. You were made to be wise. It's fashioned into how we were created and what we were created for. Now, I can't gather all the wisdom that we may have heard over the last few weeks. I can't pull each of us and write down all the phrases, though I'm sure there's lots of good ones and I encourage you to share them. But I can remind us of some of what we've encountered over the last month or so as a community. And I want to invite you to consider that maybe some of the things you've already heard or hadn't heard but are hearing today for the first time might be what God's inviting you to apply in these next few weeks. We started this series looking at Psalm 1, which paints a picture of the satisfied life. And here's what we said about the satisfied life. We said, saturate yourself with thoughts of life with God. Choose into that life out of a sense of delight. We talked about delight versus obligation that that was the key to a happy, content, 
and satisfied life. And there was wisdom in living that kind of life. So maybe for some of us, the invitation is to saturate our lives with thoughts of what life with God could be like. Maybe for some of us, it's to turn from following God out of obligation to following God out of delight, out of knowing that there's actually a rejoicing that comes when we follow and do the things God wants for us, that that is actually the gift of the good life that has been given to us. Maybe for some of us, it's actually believing that we can live a happy, a content, a satisfied kind of life, that there is more to life than what we've experienced already. Later on, we looked at Proverbs 8, and in Proverbs 8, one of the sections talks about how God creates in his creation work in Genesis 1. He creates with wisdom. That every good work, every good thing that has happened has come with wisdom. And we talked about applying that to our lives. And we said that when we take wisdom to work, to school, to family, right? We expanded work, that concept of work to include Anything and everything we set our time, our energy, our will towards. When we take wisdom into those things, we participate in bringing flourishing, bringing beauty, bringing meaning, and bringing all matter of good fruit into those places because all those things follow wisdom. Follow wisdom. Perhaps it's the invitation for you is to consider what you're taking with you to work, to school, to family, to the things you set your time and energy toward? Are you taking uh, pride? Are you taking striving? Are you taking anxiousness? Are you taking et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And is it time to replace that with wisdom so that you can see goodness and beauty and meaning and flourishing in the places where you spend your time, where you spend your energy, where you spend your effort? Perhaps this is what God is inviting you to move just from the head and the heart to the action and the will. Last week, we looked at Proverbs 9 and Proverbs 3, and we saw wisdom personified, inviting us to sit at its table. We talked about how we bring with us our understanding of what a good life is or what it takes to live meaningful lives, and that part of what we do when we sit at the table of wisdom is we surrender those things. And we are willing to have God reframe them. So perhaps for us, the invitation is to sit at wisdom's table, willing to reframe what's important and receive what is served. We talked about how wisdom held in its left hand riches, and in its right hand, it held honor and long life. And we, we mentioned that, that that contrast meant that what was in the right hand was most important. And that for some of us, it was taking what we were considering most important and perhaps considering that it was in the wrong hand. Not that it wasn't important, but perhaps it was in time to reconsider if it's the most important and actually invite God to put in that hand what he wants us to consider most important. Now, I can't finish without talking about today's passage and say that perhaps the wisdom today for us is to listen to the words of Jesus and follow the path that he walks before us. After all, what Jesus says in Matthew 5 is referring to words he has spoken. 
Anyone who listens to these words of mine and puts them into practice. And you're like, well, what are those words? Why didn't we read them? Well, maybe that's the invitation for you. Maybe the invitation for you for the next few weeks is to read through the Sermon on the Mount, the chapters that precede chapter 7, and catch a vision for the kind of life that God made you to live the kind of path and life that Jesus walked, the kind of path that he charted for each and every one of us. I got a bonus for you. If you're reading through that and you're like, I'm not sure how to apply this to my life, in 2020, we preached through the Sermon on the Mount. In early 2020, we called it uh, living right side up in an upside down world. And if you find yourself stuck at any point, as you're reading through the Sermon on the Mount, it's all, I can almost promise you that you can go look online and we likely preached a sermon about that passage and that can help you as you try to figure out how to take that from words that you hear to words that transform you and that you live out. This is the invitation for all of us to listen to the words of Jesus and follow the path that he set before us. I, I came to know the music of Rich Mullins long after he had passed away. I didn't become a Christian until I was in college, and by that time, Rich had passed away a few years prior. And as I listened to his music and I read his story, it became evident that there was something about the way not just Rich sang, not just in the words that he wrote, but in the life that he lived that connected with people. There was something about him that drew people in, a way that he lived out his life and with authenticity, with honesty, with encouragement, with invitation, with invitation. And some of the words that he wrote, some of the phrases that he wrote are incredibly simple, yet deeply profound. As I was thinking about this message, one of his songs came to mind, and I want to read you some of the words of the songs. It says, there's bound to come some trouble to your life. And in another verse, he says, there's bound to come some tears to your life. He says, but that's nothing to be afraid of. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. He says, there's bound to come some trouble and some tears in your life. But that ain't no reason to fear. And you're like, why? Here's what he says. Reach out to Jesus. When the trouble comes, when the tears come, hold on tight. Here's why. Because he's been there before. And he knows what it's like. And you'll find he's there. Friends, the, reasons we can, the reason we can build our house on the rock, on the teachings of Jesus, and be confident that when the chaos of life comes, our houses will stand and they won't crumble is because Jesus is there with us. Jesus has been through the storms. Jesus has been through the chaos. Jesus has been through the loss. Jesus has been through the pain. Jesus has, Jesus has been through the struggle. Jesus has defeated what was undefeatable. He has defeated death. And whether you're in the house right now and it feels like the storm is coming, or you find that you're standing in rubble because life has already crumbled and you're not sure where to go to next, you can reach out to Jesus. He'll be there. He is there. And you can stand. And you can make the story of your life not one that's marked by crumbling and chaos, but one that's marked by endurance, one that's marked by joy, 
one that's marked by celebration, one that's marked by withstanding, not just for yourself, but to free you to help others as they endure the storms of their life. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you for simple words with profound truth. Thank you that when rains come and winds blow and seas rise, we can be confident that if we've built our house on you, we can stand. But even if we find that we are standing in houses that are built on sand when the rains come and the winds blow, we can call out to you and you will rescue us. That's amazing, Lord. And even if we don't call out to you in the moments where the rains come and the winds blow, if we find ourselves in the midst of rubble of our own making or of the making of others, what we get when we reach out to you is not condemnation, but welcome and restoration. Lord, you have wisdom for us today and in the days to come. May we not be content with simply listening and hearing. May we let it transform us. May we live it out. In Jesus' name, amen.